By the way, you were talking about popularity of our episodes. We mm-hmm. had a recent spike. I don't know if you saw that. We did around uh, the Christmas period. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's when uh, stars are made, apparently. I think Christmas break. Yeah. Um, or when you know people had a lot of extra time on their hands. Mm-hmm. But the thing that seems to be the most popular is the episodes that we have guest appearances. And I know we. Do you know what it, what it is? Huh. I have a pretty good conjecture of why that is. And I, I think, okay, go. I think I know what your conjecture is, but go for it. Okay, so um, first of all, we're talking about uh, listens in the, not even in the tens, in the single units, right? Mm-hmm. So our more like successful episodes have ten listens, uh, which. I think makes sense given that like the person who was a guest on the podcast is likely going to listen to the <laughs> podcast so that's an extra listen right there and they may tell one or two other people R- as well right yeah okay that's a good point I thought you were going to go more uh, to the angle of like um, self-degrading in the sense that oh, the reason why it think- is successful is because we you know we have less air time I mean, that's 100% likely going to be the case if this thing takes off, but we're we're not at the stage yet where like people can people can actually get a proper opinion of these things, right? Like the people who listen to these things don't listen, don't listen to it for the content of it, but for the association that they have. Right. Yep. It's just like with startups, right? Like um, um, <clears throat> your first customers, at least like... Uh, from the advice that you get from like people like Peter Thiel mm. in Y Combinator is like your first customers are going to be your friends and family that you're trying to sell to, which, you know, a whole host of issues with, with that statement, but um, they're not going to be there for the product, product that you're making because the product that you're making is still shit, right? Mm. You haven't developed it. Uh, they're going to be there for the association that they have with you. Right. Uh, but the, but the, then the intent is that eventually it, moves out of that regime into they're there for the product yeah exactly yeah right because there's at least a hundred other products that are on the same they're tackling the same niche as you and there needs to be a reason that people are using your product that yours comes out of not exactly um it's more to do with so first of all the advice there is that you should uh tackle problems that people have not yet right like you're trying to find a niche that you can spin up a monopoly in right, right? that is again the advice that is given in my combinator which i don't necessarily agree with but you know for the sake of the argument here we're adopting that um and then the sort of the uh purpose there is to have a group of people that can give you feedback on the product right so you can iterate on it faster mm. Uh, so that you can get to a point where you can present a product that uh, in front of investors that can give you the capital needed to actually develop the product that you want to build. Right. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Um, I guess what I mean about the fact that there's like a hundred products in the same playing field, tech in the same niche, I do agree there's probably, you know, there's like an infinite or very large number of niches in which you could tackle and yep. you know whenever i find myself going on websites like angel list or looking at various different startup websites or or, or um, incubation websites you see so many good ideas 
and mm-hmm. people that invest a lot of time in you like that's a good idea that that could that could help a lot of people and take off but they never do and the 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 reason behind it is you need to get to the point where you can press it on people to make them realize that they they need that product more than they go out seeking for it so 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 in the sense that um your presence makes them aware of the product and builds the need rather mm-hmm. than they looking looking out for your product mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and and because of that i don't know maybe i'm kind of going in circles here but because of that you it it, it feels like you're I don't know. It feels as if the product you're making, because I could I could go out and buy any one of these hundred products, but I don't have the time for it or the need. So you're almost like forcing your product on the customers. I see. So you're fighting for attention. That's what you're yeah, saying. I for, think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very much. Uh, v- very much the case there that you are constantly fighting for attention when it comes to a lot of these things. Um, I think. It's a slightly more complicated because uh, obviously people aren't just, uh, you know, completely idiotic uh, agents without agency. Right? Like they still have desires and needs. And uh, if your product fulfills a particular need better than the competitors, you know, um, then your fight for the uh, for their attention is much easier. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it does matter whether I'm offering like a new version of the Spork or something that can help you. I don't know, like sleep better, right? Like those are going to be weighed differently in the eyes of the cons- consumer. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Where where did we start this thread from? Why, why did we get on to talk? Our budding success, our uh, growing audience of less than 10 people. Right, and so um, the reason why... Um, the reason why we have we have not had people knocking down our front doors yeah so uh i i do think that uh, the success of um uh the type of podcast that is the interview podcast like you know joe rogan being the most famous example of that is that whenever you have a guest they bring along their audience right so that uh, a lot more people get exposed to that type of podcast right so when Joe Rogan has a heavy metal uh, band performer uh, as a guest, it exposes the podcast to the whole heavy metal community, right? Um, so so right. we are experiencing yeah. a tiny bit of of of, of that, uh, like of that thing by seeing increased uh, listener counts mm. when we have guests, mm. um, or at least that's my conjecture. Anyway. Uh, let's talk about uh, the game that you recently played. How did you know? Uh, well, so there's actually a collection of games I played over the winter break. I feel like at some point it'd be very cool to track those all down. And the reason why I'm talking about the fact that I'm playing a game is because it's rare for me to play games. So to say that I mm-hmm. played three games in two days over the winter holiday is the accumulative of two years of gaming for me. Um, and that's that's something. a lot of games in not that many days. Yeah. So I am going to my just to kind of build up to this. One of my resolutions for the year is to play a lot more games, mm-hmm. uh, especially like, tackling all the indie games. Yeah, I feel like it's a very low effort. Um, uh, is resolution. it though? 
there's a there's a quick topic to discuss here is that like in uh the modern world actually finding quality content is a whole task on its own right like yeah. i mean sure you can open uh steam and look at the top charts but i think quite a few of the things there are going to scratch that itch that you're looking to scratch right like it is going to take quite a lot of effort to find the type of game that you enjoy the most and then you know being able to find other games of a similar genre is a bit difficult because uh, we don't really have a lot of vocabulary for these things mm -hmm. right like um i think it's probably a well-known fact that i consider outer wilds to be the best game of all times um and i really don't have the language through which to describe how to find like through which to say i want games of a similar genre right like i guess the witness is another example of this but apart from that it's just like yeah i mean sure it's first person sure it's like an exploration game but there's a billion other games of that genre that i i wouldn't enjoy even if they're well well done like done well right um okay so just to backtrack a little bit because i feel like there's two things in there one is talking yeah. about how we can build a search engine for games almost in the sense of what how do how can we compare games and what's the vocabulary of games which i think is really interesting to tackle and i want to want to talk in that talk about that but before that was also the you know i said it was a low effort endeavor to play mm -hmm. games and i guess i should qualify that by saying it it depends like with everything but the mm -hmm. biggest like for example a common new year's resolution is say i'm going to read a book a week and people read 52 mm -hmm. books but i feel like you know as they say, like the unexamined life isn't worth living. Like if you pay, if you play, if you read 52 books in a year and just bash them out and then you're not really reflecting on what you've read or kind of mm -hmm. using what you've read to guide future decisions and just sporadically shotgunning to read and just get the job done. I don't feel like there's anything having been gained by doing that, by read, having read 52 books, other than maybe you could read faster or having built maybe better reading skills. Yeah, it's um, also, like, just very quickly to interject, uh, there's also a thing of, like, quantity versus quality, right? Like, if I read Twilight number 52, you know, like, if I read the first 52 Twilight books, uh -huh. um, I may have a less fulfilling experience than if I read a single book that's, you know, a worthwhile, pers I mean, not to disparage Twilight as a, as a series, but, like, you personally find more uh, worthwhile. Right, so there's like, there's also the, I guess, like how you measure, I mean, I, maybe you, like you're talking about, you know, the, the, the difficulty of the book, the size of the book, and saying just reading 52 books, you can't quite put that mm -hmm. into perspective because maybe reading Origin of Species takes a month because of the technical level versus Twilight takes That's a, a part of it, yeah, but like also, you know, it, it can, like, it can be a very long book, you know, very difficult to understand as well and still have not much to say that's relevant to, you know, either how you live your life or right. to provide you with a new lens through which to live your life. Yeah, and so, well, so yeah, so that, though, so, yeah, so that is true, but, you know, you the only way you can find that out is either you read the book, so I guess there's like three scenarios, two scenarios, maybe there's a third. You read the mm -hmm. book, 
you don't think about the fact that it was a good or bad book and use that to make future judgments about what you read. So you keep mm-hmm. randomly shooting at books and uh, the problem feeds back itself. Or you read the book and it's like a good or bad book and you reflect on it and you use that to guide future decisions. So reading a bad book in that sense might have been helpful. Um, sure, yeah. But and then but then there's like the third thing of... Well, so... so Oh, oh, let's ground. I kind of want to ground the second because I feel like we're still talking. There's kind of like multiple topics. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, go. go j- j- uh, just while you're uh, clearing it up in your head, uh, I think you've struck on something that I had not considered, which is quite interesting, which is the fact that I agree with you 100%. If I read a bad book, it's a worthwhile experience. Whereas if I, I feel like if I play a bad game, it's a complete waste of time. Like I've never considered the fact that if I play a bad game, that may actually inform my decision in the future mm. about what kind of game I'd like to play. So for some reason, with a book, I feel like it's much more so, like the fact that, you know, there is no such thing as like time wasted reading a book in a sense. Whereas with a game, I feel like I've honestly played games where I'd rather just, you know, have the time back. Like I just, you know, it's not like that it's not been a unpleasant experience. It's just not been either pleasant enough or informative enough to be Mm. worthwhile. You know, that's a good point. And actually now that you, you know, now you mentioned, I do have an example where playing a game that was bad influenced my future choices and I didn't touch a range of genres. I remember okay. playing, but I don't know if this quite. So so I remember playing, um, oh, what was it, Blue Dragon, two. I've not heard of this one. Which is a JRPG, and it was my first foray into JRPGs, back mm-hmm. when I was younger, and I hated it. I mm-hmm. I really didn't have the time or the patience to deal with JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Um. And because of that, I avoided everything to do with JRPGs. I didn't play Pokemon. I didn't play mm-hmm. um, Final Fantasy. Like all anything that ca- like seemed like it would be JRPG based mechanics, I just uh, just didn't give it the time of day. Yeah. And I, yeah. I feel like that might. I mean, that's kind of a whole wiping of a genre based on mm-hmm. a mechanic. But I feel like that kind of might fall into that. Um. Or maybe not. Yeah, yeah, but maybe maybe in a negative context. As in, like, you know, you'd like to think that when you play a bad game, you can sort of, like, slice off, you know, the rotten part of the apple without throwing away the whole apple. Right. And, uh, you know, I personally don't play JRPGs as well, but uh, I've heard people swear by, uh, you know, the staples of the genre, things like Chrono Trigger or, like, Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think ten is probably the one that people talk about a lot. Uh, and I sort of regret having not played them. Like I've tried playing them right. and, you know, sort of the, are, I guess, more difficult to play these days where graphics have incru- improved quite a lot. But, you know, I- if back in the day I had happened upon them or like didn't pass by them, I think I, I would have had a pleasant experience uh, playing them. Mm. Yeah. So then yeah i think i think i think you're right like it's it's more the the stubbornness of or like the 
my I, I do think it's a fault of my own to not go back and at least you know look at the evidence behind Final Fantasy for example as being a cl classic cult classic and saying hey try out this game despite your experience with previous JRPGs um, but going back to what you were then saying about the fact that so can you just recap what you were saying about how playing a certain yep. game has never changed maybe how you've a bad game has changed how you've like uh, chosen future games. yeah I yeah so uh, you pointing this out um, <clears throat> It's a hundred percent correct. So I'm gonna rephrase what I said a bit. Like, I've not felt that as a positive experience, right? Like, I've also played, you know, Assassin's Creed seventy five hundred and been like, okay, maybe I'll drop the Assassin's Creed series. You know, this doesn't seem to appeal quite a lot to me. But it's not been like, uh, still, it, it's not felt like as a worthwhile pursuit. Like, you know, going into the Assassin's Creed, you know, seventy five J squared. Uh -huh. um, I didn't have like very high expectations and those very high expectations were not met. So then I was like, okay, bias confirmed in a sense. Right. And then, I, the, and then you, you're saying you write off 75 J cubed. Yeah. And, and the, uh, you know, the later ones in the series. Right. Um, uh, whereas with the book, it feels like to, it feels like it's a bit of a more opaque thing. So, right. There's like no trailers for books or there's no like, gameplay snippets that you can get for books so it feels like a bit of more of a big foray into things yeah i think th that's exactly it. it's like with a game it feels like you can get a chunk of it like a bite of it get a taste and then decide on how you're gonna mm. do this with a book i think it's a much more difficult thing to do yeah the investment for a book in terms of time can be mm -hmm. um a lot more yeah to, it's before you can like make a decision like uh yeah no i think that's i think that is one of the this is one of the frustrating things i find with reading that i'm not sure how i totally solve and i'm sure there's like ways people go about doing it um but i've got a range of books i want to read there's only like you know x books you can read in your life um and you also don't want to go in with some prior uh influence about what you're about to read because it's sometimes interesting to form your own opinions and questions as you go through it but if you read through reviews and summaries etc this can this can have that effect where it kind of slots your opinions down a rail mm -hmm. and then you're mm -hmm. kind of stuck on that rail um i yeah i don't know whereas you know with a game you're right you can play like the first two levels or play through the cutscene or first level and kind of get a feel for what, whether you like the the mechanic or the game itself and then mm -hmm. you can continue mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I i guess there was still i i could see cases where that doesn't hold but in in games where you traditionally have like a progression system and a game that is developing in difficulty it's quite standard that the mechanic doesn't change and you're just looking at here's my let me i'm free phrase that a little bit it's more like i've been introduced to the standard mechanic and things only get more complex and i use that mechanic mm -hmm. more and more but there are some mm -hmm. really complex games that do stuff like have story arcs etc that you even see in books that maybe you yeah. can't know about until you invest more and more into it I yeah, yeah. Uh, um there's the occasional game that uh, comes up and you think you know what you're getting into and then it just completely subverts your expectations and then it's an amazing piece of art right like it, it's it's not even about the game exp experience anymore right it's just like a 
in uh, I guess you can make the separation between a game and an interactive experience because a game inherently has a lot of uh, connotations with arcades from back in the day right? like uh, get the high score you know sort of like um, when you say that something feels very gamey you know sort of like um, very much like a game there is a particular connotation that is like you know Pac-Man or like Super Mario like right and then there's like an interactive experience in a sense which uh, you know it feels like uh, taking the maybe literary arts or like the visual arts from a movie and adding a interactive component to it mm. um yeah again it's sort of like a limitation of the language um uh but yeah like for the most uh, part games give you a glimpse of what is to happen in the beginning so i guess it's easier to make a quick judgment call and be more often right than with a book mm. yeah um which okay two ways i want to take this now because one is dive right into the game i played but the second one is i thought is just quite cool is that the local indie game community um here in seattle which i'm not in seattle right now so when i say here i mean here uh eight eight hours on 13 hours on the plane away um <laughs> on the other side of the pla- is um a so you have book reading clubs mm-hmm. where they read a book and then they come like read a chapter and then come together and talk about it read an entire book and come together and talk about it they started a game playing club where you play a game and then you come together and talk that's about very it. interesting yeah so did you did you attend such a thing no so here's the thing is i've brought up such a thing but i haven't attended because they just started mm-hmm. uh, they started they've done two sessions um and i haven't made it to either of them yet because they've been so it's such a recent thing that they've added mm-hmm. so i bring this up i, think that's I have a... no stories to add to it other than just the concept itself yeah i think that's a super sensible thing to do right um i personally find myself uh, much more engaged with uh, games I, I play in a community like fashion obviously the uh, best example is a multiplayer game but i've also recently started enjoying playing single player games amongst other people right uh for example uh, outer wilds i've played through in maybe seven on seven different occasions of just you know tagging along for the ride with uh somebody else to enjoy the experience that you get that you play for the first time through their eyes right because uh, this game is very much about exploration and you it's difficult to rediscover something unless you wait you know 10 years be- between playthroughs mm. right but i'm very much hooked on this feeling of, of discovery and uh, i found that it's a nice way to vicariously sort of live through the experience of others playing the game for mm-hmm. the first time yeah yeah i i like it's like part of the addiction to also um watching streams as well from like the oh yeah ability. yeah um, although i don't think people watch a lot of streams of games that they've played through as i said that i immediately uh need to qualify that you know there are streamers who speed on games and then obviously everybody knows what's going to happen you know within the game oh, yeah. at all points yeah i okay okay so i think this works well into jumping into what the game i played yeah that sounds good which 
we'll move less away from the realm of talking about like why we play games and as like the interaction give as a community and but what it means to it kind of moves more on the psychology of games and what it means to like be immersed in a game so mm-hmm. i played a game about a couple months ago called burn band uh, have you heard of the game burn band i have not no so i i it's a really simple game it was made in like a week or something by a guy that's famous for making like very small games um, iteratively mm-hmm. and just focusing on kind of building a tool set and then just building a set of experiences from that um, and he makes a lot of interesting games with interesting experiences but this one he focused on the fact that um, you are an alien in a kind of a I, I want to say like a cyberpunk city um, mm-hmm. and it's not procedural but um it's kind of hand built it's got v- very low resolution graphics it's it's like pixel characters moving around their billboards mm-hmm. um the game is shot from first person view where you just can see in front of you is kind of your two hands in front of your mm-hmm. face and they kind of shuffle up and down as you move forward and um what's crazy about this game and incredible is it's about like a two hour experience you there's no goals you drop into this world you walk around it you interact with it um it's mm-hmm. pretty minimal um but what's 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 crazy about this game is is it's pop it's extremely popular and has really good ratings for um such a simple game and the 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 general review is that this game has an extremely like addictive immersion mm-hmm. ability so like you you maybe play like Say you play um, uh, Prey 2 or something, and that's a cyberpunk-based thir- first-person, um, third-person, mm-hmm. or fr- it might be first-person, but you're a cyberpunk bounty hunter, and you play that, and there's some good immersion in there. Maybe you get tied up into the game. But this game, this this game I'm talking about, Burn Band, has the ability to immerse you in pixel graphics with really low resolution quality, mm-hmm. but it cap- it it kind of hits all the senses in terms of uh, visuals, it's got good audio, um, and also it, I'd say like another sense is sort of um, uh, responsiveness in the sense that I act and something responds, and that gives me some level mm-hmm. of feedback. But what I was blown away about this by this game is I was so kind of immersed in the experience and exploring this world and kind of feeling like I was an alien that it made me really start thinking again about the idea of how the um the mind can make you believe sort of um or or accept certain situations as real even though mm-hmm. they are i want to say like low quality experiences so I, that's why i think this game was such a good example was because of the fact that the graphics are low quality the audio yep. was 8 bit um and the general game was there was nothing much to it. The fact that you can the the, the brain can sort of ad- accept this as a reality and you can become mm-hmm. kind of adopt like almost become embodied in the game. It I think it's just an interesting topic to discuss in terms of you know how how easily the mind can accept just simulations, cartoons, low resolution graphics as the basis for reality, mm-hmm. and and why we don't 
look more in our current reality and kind of think about the fact that if we're so easily tricked into adopting certain simplified realities or overemphasized realities, then mm-hmm. what is it? Why are we not questioning more about the reality that we're kind of perceiving right now? Um, are you asking that question in a historical fashion of like why people have not done done that historically or wondering about contemporary times? Um, I'd say contemporary. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think people have done this historically, like in terms of questioning realities, but I yeah. guess that it's become more and more prevalent as we've managed to start to reproduce aspects of reality. Yeah, that's that's my thinking as well. It's like, um, yeah, maybe people are not wondering, well, pondering that uh, as much as you would expect in the modern world. But I think things like virtual reality have really opened that discussion to a much larger uh, segment of the human population, right? Because it used to be uh, philosophers that really had a you know the revolutionary for the time understanding of. Uh, perception and the conscious experience that pondered this, whereas everybody else was like, no, this is the only way things can be, you know, like really not even um, doubting whether your uh, senses uh, give you an accurate representation of the world, which we know for a fact is not the case, right? Because like there's probably infinite amount of information in the world and you're throwing away part of it, right? Now, the fact that um, I'm throwing away like ultraviolet and infrared light does not make those lights inherently less um, valuable or like less informative of these things. I'm sure there's things to argue about, like, you know, the atmosphere uh, screening out particular bands of light and therefore that being uh, less uh, available in the real world. But, you know, for example, with infrared light, um, that allows you to see in the dark, right? Something that is incredibly valuable as an experience, right? Uh, but we don't have access to that mm-hmm. in our s- senses, and therefore, um, you know, that's like a very simple example of how our experience is completely subjective and completely informed by our faulty senses. Yeah. All right. So, I, actually, you touched on something there that I want to uh, quickly discuss is that this ability to sort of like relate to a more abstract thing, like a lower resolution mm-hmm. uh, character or world and things like that um it uh, brings about sort of memories of playing games like heroes of might and magic 3 or you know even going as back as far back as pac-man and really filling out that world with your imagination right um you don't really take these percept percepts at face value right like when you look at pac-man you don't con- you don't uh, interpret it as like a what is it like 32 by, by 32 uh, uh sprite you know yeah uh you really sort of like paint it out with your own uh picture and you can see that uh in artist renderings of uh, these things right like there's a bunch of artwork of like pac-man being eaten by ghosts or eating ghosts and that's people's internal models of what is happening in the game made mm. uh, visible, right? So that's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah, I do think we have lost a bit of that ability with you know modern graphics. We've uh, gotten accustomed to being able to perceive everything there is to perceive. Right when you play God, the newest God of War, um, 
with the photorealistic characters in there, you don't really have the need to fill out details visually. Maybe you do narratively and, you know, like this, another topic of like, I think good narratives are ones in which you are left to put the pieces together rather than being spoon fed them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But visually, I feel like this is much less so the case. So I'm very happy to hear that uh, there is such a game in which um, uh, so uh, there's a question actually I, I'm presuming things so let me question that like did you feel when you get immersed into this world did you feel like you are building out the world in your head in a way that is not necessarily part of the of the actual experience uh, yeah um, yeah you def so I think one of the part one of the things I, I kind of when reflecting that I touched on that was kind of key to building to having that effect of you building out the world yourself or building the narrative that's going on in this world mm-hmm. is you know so say you had procedural content generation and you're just getting a bunch of basic tiles and you're just kind of slugging these together randomly mm-hmm. you're going to have an infinite number of ways in which you can generate this but there's no you don't really there's you don't really build dialogue in this and it'll make sense what i'm mm-hmm. talking about in a moment because what burn band did is essentially they got their set of tiles and then said hey i'm going to also make 20 very unique tiles call them a b c through w or whatever and um each of these tiles is only going to appear once and it's going to be very unique and give like Mm -hmm. when you see that tile you're only going to see it once it's going to probably have some kind of story that you could map onto it so you're only going to see it once in your whole playthrough or like just for that particular gaming session uh I guess in in that world. So I mean, if you okay. play the game, it, it only exists once in the world. So say it's like uh, you're walking along and there's an aquarium. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only one aquarium in this world. If you continue yeah. walking, gotcha. and it was infinite world. There would be only one aquarium. Mm-hmm. And so you build into your, you know, this unique event sort of adds to the depth of this world. You say, okay, well, someone maybe existed here who decided to build an aquarium here, and this is mm-hmm. their aquarium. Or something's happen- happening in the aquarium that you can add to the story that mm-hmm. kind of grounds it in certain checkpoints that aren't ever repeating. And this sort of, and I, I think this is, you know, where maybe people started having a bad taste in their mouth for games, early versions of like No Man's Sky. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember if we dabbled on this a little bit, but we did talk about once, like, I, I this kind of the smearing of procedural generation where if you're just randomly combining things together in the end you're mm-hmm. not going to get you're, you're going to have a lot of repetition and not a lot of novelty and i think yeah. part of building a dialogue comes around with having these kind of key events in a world that you can invent that narrative for mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. which um i think it's obligatory to mention here that i think minecraft has a lot of uh, beauty in how it handles that in that uh, it manages to intertwine procedurally generated terrain uh, terrain which can be very barren like a very devoid of storytelling but is a very good sand pit to play in right like you, mm. you get a hill uh, there's not going to be a buried uh, treasure under that hill but it has the potential to become a hill upon which a castle is built or a hill under which like a, an ogre's cave is made or something like right. that uh, and balancing that against uh, pre-built structures like villages or temples or like underwater uh, strongholds 
uh, things like that, yeah. which are much more tailored and you know what you're getting into for the most part, but makes for a great narrative, right? Like uh, when you happen upon a village in, in a valley or surrounded by mountains, that makes for a much uh, more sort of like fertile ground for easy storytelling. Yeah. No, I do think that the introduction of villages, temples, ruins sparsely in Minecraft added that small tweak added a lot of depth to the the world generation because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I really think it's about like I, I really think it's about building like history or occupancy like someone that I don't see did something as if they had you know their mm-hmm. a, their own agency in this world mm-hmm. this temple has been working in this village um, but I kind of want to I, I just want to shift a little bit yeah um because what i did want to i I think it's part of the immersive experience is about this narrative but what i what i want to think about is kind of what you you were touched on with the the pac-man which is Mm -hmm. the ability to and, and projecting narrative on these characters is part of it but the ability for the mind to feel um like to accept an alternate reality Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, where that, I don't know, like, where that could take us. Like, for example, I feel like a lot of graphics right now is focusing on perfectly reproducing the reality we have now, mm-hmm. like human mm-hmm. simulations. And I think this is what Unreal Engine's focusing a lot on now is human simulation. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really take advantage of what the mind could do. And, yeah. you know, could we have, like, touching on what you said earlier, could you have really you know take these powerful graphics algorithms that we're coming up with and hardware and do something like a simulation where you are a being that uh, uh, um, uh, only uh, perceives the world through uv light or something Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. instead of just doing uh, just reproducing the tricks that we've seen like in the real world in computers Mm -hmm. i feel like this the brain has the ability to sort of adopt these alternate um Oh yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's a it has massive capacity for adaptability. Uh, we may have mentioned the uh, experiments in which uh, people lose uh, their ability to see and can learn through electrical impulses from a camera, um, sort of that zap them on their forehead, be able to perceive objects again. Like uh, the brain's ability to un- uh, decode new stimuli is actually incredibly impressive. Like massively much more powerful than you would have expected um, given the sort of sameness of uh, environment through which we've evolved. So this is actually something that is quite interesting um, in that why was there a need for the brain to develop in this way, right? Like why is it not that we have sight and speech much like more hardly uh, like uh, hard coded into our brains than is actually the case. Mm. Um, so that's something that uh, has actually made me right. quite curious. I really don't have the capacity to even begin to, you know, come up with a conjecture with that. But it's something to that that, that baffles me a bit. Um, when you mention these alternate realities and things like that, um, I want to mention uh, the show Arcane that came out uh, a while back. It's the League of Legends show that made a revolutionary st- step in uh, animation. Like it's been a while since I felt like, 
oh, I want to live in a world that is painted, you know, in this way, right? And it's a nice merger between. Uh, have you have you seen the show or like I footage watched, from the show? I watched the first episode. Okay, so you have you have seen like the sort of blend between photorealistic and animated mm -hmm. that uh, they've gone for. Um, I think it's incredibly, incredibly beautiful, and I argue we need to go into that direction much more than the, uh, you know, NBA, FIFA, just, you know, get every little detail, sort of like get the, mm. the mole on, per on the person's face uh, right direction. Like, right. Th this exact ability of the brain to adapt to these different styles, I think, um, opens ex opportunity opportunities much more exciting than just replicating reality one for one to one mm -hmm. yeah um yeah this is kind of what i you know i didn't really have a roof this but that arcane is a good example because well first i want to actually wonder do you know how they did the animation for arcane was it a animation with like post-processing they they painted over or um i would expect there's uh, i have no clue like i haven't checked but uh, i would expect there was motion capture because the mm. uh movements seem incredibly realistic like fluid enough but like also you know snappy enough to really feel authentic in the way they happen so i'm uh, i'm guessing there was quite a lot of you know real human sort of uh modeling or the artists are incredibly talented uh, that's also a, a possibility but yeah i wouldn't know whether there was film footage that was post-processed in, in in some way right yeah okay yeah it it feels me i i had the same feeling as you that there was mocap um and then maybe also some some keyframes for some very specific motions like because mm -hmm. some of it some of it did seem cartoony in some aspects mm -hmm. in which the characters moved mm -hmm. and others was very um very detailed that you know a keyframe animator couldn't do all that in, mm -hmm. in the time required mm -hmm. um so yeah examples like that uh, exactly where where you know they could have taken the route of let's just make this a realistic tv show and yeah. instead they took the artistic route of you know adopting a, a stylization of this world mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't know where I'm really going with this, other than I feel as if, yeah, like you, the stylization should be given more attention, because, yep, um, yeah, I other than the fact, I other than I, I, well, okay, here's an interesting thing of like, in the, in the long run, you know, over like all the technology we develop in terms of building simulations and we build like perfect simulations we get really good hardware mm -hmm. and we can actually get you know all the things we dream of in one simulation good fluid systems um good physics etc good uh animation and it just looks great i mean is the ultimate i don't know is the ultimate goal to just like is there any reason to then stylize it once that's possible like um is stylization just kind of an intermittent thing to kind of cover up the fact that we can't deal with um certain aspects of copying simulations um like a i would very much real life. yeah i would very much hope that's not the case i think there's still a lot more to be 
explored about uh, reality. Uh, maybe not so much on the aspect of like human replication. Like you know, again, these games like NBA and FIFA have gotten to a place where individual frames seem like photos. Right? Like I don't think we need to spend much more time until these things are indistinguishable. But about like other aspects of reality, right? Like being able to do accurate ray tracing on the scale of like, you know, being able to um, observe phenomena that may, you know, for example, have quantum effect. Like um, I'm, I'm blanking on a phenomena that naturally sort of like occurs right now, but you know, through like the corners we cut with physics engines and things like that. For example, this allow you to observe the light reflecting through uh, refracting refracting through a diamond, which is a very nice experience, right? Um, now, obviously you can hard code that, but it would be nice to be able to stumble upon these things without the programmer having explicitly uh, coded them in, much like you would do, you know, in the real world. Right. This sense of discovery again, uh, coming up again. And actually, I'm backing. I'm backing. Yeah, I'm actually answering my question as well with a with um, no as well. That that's not the case. If the reason for stylization isn't to replace these phenomenon, even if we have, you know, very good simulations, because of what you said originally, which is that there are fundamental limitations to us as humans, like our sensory experience. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this before, but why and, and it doesn't come down to adding more senses though like we're not i'm not talking about augmenting the brain i'm more talking about augmenting the experience of already like you with the senses you already have so say for example you could see certain photons based on the position in which you were located relative to where they're mm -hmm. rebounding off the surface like that doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense in the it based on our like our physical world that we have right now but in a simulation this might be useful so you could get some like you might be able to see more diffraction patterns and diamonds by just turning on some like dif like mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. diffraction system you don't need to do like smoke screen effects to make photons visible and these kind of tricks that allow you to really get realities beyond what we just like know so yeah i think there's a lot of create creativity that can be done in, in that in that sense yeah and yeah. i don't think enough um, done. uh this uh, photon thing uh, sort of makes me wonder on a on a game concept of um you and i have come uh, both seen uh the game miegakure i'm sure i'm mispronouncing it in which uh, there's a 4d world in which you can only observe three dimensions at a time right and you have a control that allows you to um swap which three dimensions you observe mm or it may be even two dimensions, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, like a subset of the dimensions. Um, but I think it would be quite an interesting one in which uh, just the game world is such that uh, the direction that the camera is facing allows you to see a different subset of, you know, the higher dimensional world or something like that, such that if I'm facing north, um, I observe one scene, but if I'm say facing south, I observe a completely different scene. Right. Um, so, so you're still with you so you're within a 4d world and the, your 3d cross section is based on how, how you're facing the scene is that what you um I, I think it's a bit difficult right because uh if i'm in a 4d world and it is the only the f like direction i'm facing 
that allows me to choose which direction to move, then I still only see a 3D subset of the world, right? There's no way to pack. Oh, although block sphere packs like four dimensions. Uh, you remember from like, uh, quantum computing, there's like this sphere that's meant to represent what a single qubit like state is in, mm -hmm. right? And it is a uh, four dimensional quantity, right? I have two complex numbers in there which makes for four dimensions and there's like a way to sort of squish the four dimensions in a three-dimensional uh sphere there so maybe maybe there is something uh to do a la hyperbolica or something like that to play around with like the space to make it non-euclidean and maybe you can pack things like that um but yeah i, I don't know it may be as simple as just like um blending two worlds together like I, I have two 3d worlds that depending on the um direction my camera is facing i blend from one world onto the other uh, yeah okay okay so i'm just trying to think um how i maybe i'm thinking maybe i'm thinking too uh close-mindedly here because i'm trying to think about how you'd even blend I'm starting to think about how you blend meshes, etc. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's a good question, right? Like uh, with the new mesh, you can you can have a transparency, an alpha channel that allows you to blend between between two images, right? But when I need 3D physics collisions, like what does it mean to collide with like 0.3% of a cube? Right. Like what should happen there? Well, uh, I, I, I like, imagine you. Yeah, I imagine it's like the geometry still like uh, triangles but maybe 0.3 percent of the cube is I, I... that that would be very janky if you just throw away like the 70 percent of the triangles that would be a very janky experience yeah, but you could do you could do um this get a bit more technical but you could do like you get nice interpolation properties if you had the representation like assigned distance field of your scene mm -hmm. a and scene b and you do mm -hmm. you can do image like interpolations with these fields ah i see so you um on the one hand have a sphere on the other uh, hand have a cube yeah and then in the mid you'd have this like weird blobby thing that has a radius that is higher than the sphere but like lower than the cube or something like that exactly that could be fun that could be fun yeah so like so then you'd end up with interesting things like say you had the two scenes are overlapping and you had like a large mansion and then the other scene was a tree at the same mansion spot this tree would mm -hmm. slowly kind of fold and grow form out into the, into the mansion shape yeah i like that uh, i like that that's quite nice that would be that would be wow. and you have to observe it from the right direction right because you can only look at it ah. like if you're south of it you can only look to the north uh -huh. to, to observe it that's, oh, that's quite cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, because it doesn't depend on the position. So you go behind the mansion, for example, and look yeah. south or something, and then you see it as a mansion. Mm -hmm. Wow, but then that, imagine the amount of information, imagine the amount of information. Okay, so the amount of information you miss out on by going through this world. So, so, so to like, because usually in a world to explore things, you've got to move around and turn your camera. But once you've turned mm -hmm. your camera, you've assumed that you've, looked mm -hmm. everywhere at this point mm -hmm. but to explore mm -hmm. this world you have to look at every point from every angle yeah and uh, i've just come up with the name of the game which is going to be fomo which we just need to um FOMO. come up with what fomo means uh, uh, as an acronym within the within the aspect 
like within the context of the game. But yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a, like um, jittery experience, right? Like you just need to constantly, you know, move your camera around and like be on the lookout to be like, oh, you know, what am I missing? This is quite cool, actually. I um, yeah, how it feels if you can. Hmm. We come we come with too many good ideas on this. Uh, there, this we need to, we got to stop sharing these. Yeah, so this one's gonna go out to only the Patreon uh, listeners. Yeah, actually, that's uh, that's one thing that the Patreon listeners get. We've got to mention if you subscribe for five dollars a month, you get to send us one good idea every week. Oh, perfect! Yeah, yeah. Um, so we should do an episode on like uh, how to scam our listeners. You know, just come up with. Uh, the most obscene ways to to just extort money from them and then like as if an instructional video of our listeners of how we are going to or any a podcast you could yeah so right like part part of the founding ideas of the podcasts of this was like you know um keep everything in, right? Like, uh, keep all the mistakes in, keep all the awkward silences. That also means that we should include our marketing strategy. Like when we develop the marketing strategy for it, um, you know, how do we, how do we get more naive people to give us more money? That's a whole. Right. Hunting for whales. Exactly. Kind exactly. Of, that, that, well, that's what we'll call the episode. You know, there's you perfect, know, you know, there's a really weird thing I realized the other day. That is a Patreon. You know the the term someone that's a Patreon mm-hmm. is you know like someone that provides like funds for people that need it to do different that that supports someone financially. Um, but Patreon, the website is Patreon. Like it's it's missing the e. Wait, so I, I thought Patreon is the person who provides things, and oh, then the right, website right. Other, is other way around. Patreon. Yeah, exactly. So which I'm not sure what the E is doing there. Yeah, that's what I am not sure what is going on there. But yeah, that's just I, I was I was yeah I don't know. It's interesting, yeah. Um, but it, they've they've sort I, of redefined they sort of taken the word, uh, um, bastardized it, and then yeah, they've they've done a good job of it because it's in, in immediately recognizable. Um, maybe my guess is it's an IP thing, right? Like, whereas, where they couldn't have named it Patron, because it's a recognized word, and, uh, you know, you can't just name your Apple selling service Apple, because, mm. you know, that's gonna cause confusion. Uh, yeah, so yeah. that's my guess. That's my best guess. That, yeah. That, or, like, name your metaverse. Um, Meta. Yeah, that would be, like, insane who do that yeah try and take uh take yeah certain start buying words in the dictionary um yep and on that side snippet shall we close shall we call it i think we should close the episode all right well folks look forward to our uh how to scam people mini episode uh coming up very soon and we'll catch you soon bye